Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hearts to Mom podcast. I'm Lauren Rose, and today we're talking about advocating for our children with their doctors. Our guest is Colleen Fall, a stay-at-home wife and mom of two kids, one who special needs, and the author of the book, God's Precious Gift, A Special Needs Child. Thank you for coming on, Colleen. Thank you so much, Lauren, for having me. It's great to be here. Thanks. So you've got a story here. So why don't you um, walk us through your journey of trying to get diagnoses for your daughter from doctors? Like what was going on? What were some of the responses you were receiving? Sure. Yeah, no. So for for some context for your audience, um, when my daughter was born, my daughter, so I have two children and she is my second born. And my kids were born 17 months apart. So they're, they're very close in age mm-hmm. and they're both still toddlers. So this is very um, relatively recent for us. Um, and when my daughter Grace was born, we thought she was a typical healthy baby. We didn't know that there was uh, anything amiss with her in the beginning. And she seemed to develop like a normal child for the first couple of months. But then once she started to get somewhere around three months old, she wasn't quite reaching the milestones that a typical three month old would reach. And we specifically noticed her eyes were not really developing. She wasn't making eye contact. She wasn't really focusing on anything. And that actually didn't concern me very much in the sense that uh, it, it wasn't a big blow to, to my ego or my heart that my child had eye issues. I have eyewear contacts. My husband wears glasses. My mom has a lazy eye. We've just got a lot of eye issues in the family. So I figured, you know, it's in the genes. She'd probably need glasses when she gets older. And that's probably what that is. Um, so it, it wasn't a huge surprise. It wasn't a huge concern. Um, but um, I did take her to a pediatric ophthalmologist and he looked at her eyes and he basically just told me that her eyes were slow to mature. And um, there were milestones that she wasn't reaching that we just kind of chalked up to her vision. Things like reaching, she's not reaching for things probably because she can't see them, things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> So that was... Uh, we weren't super concerned at first, even after seeing the ophthalmologist when she was four months old, another few weeks went by and we still weren't seeing any progress at all. And I was starting to get a little bit more concerned that this might be something more than just her eyes. And so I brought it up to her pediatrician whenever she had her, uh, her checkup. And I said, you know, I'm a little concerned about these milestones. I'm a little concerned about her eyes just to do our due diligence. Can we, can I have her seen by a neurologist to see if there's something else going on with her eyes? And I still just thought it was all about her eyes at this point. Um, but I asked to see a neurologist and the, her pediatrician uh, humored me. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm not super concerned really, but we can get her in to have her seen just, just to give you peace of mind. And so I, uh, I was grateful for that. She told me that the hospital where we were at had a very backed up neurology department. It would probably take a really long time for her to be seen. So she said that she was going to refer my daughter to another hospital that was about an hour's drive away. And she said that there was a much more likely chance of her being seen sooner there. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. 
So I, um, but this other hospital did not really, it was not a very efficient hospital. And every time I, I called to try to get an appointment, get things rolling to get an appointment made, things just, uh, they kept on giving me the runaround. Um, want this or that hadn't been filed correctly. You need this from the doctor or this wasn't sent into insurance. It was like just long story short, a month went by and I had called many, many times to try to make an appointment and they still hadn't even made an appointment yet after a month. So I was very, at this point, frustrated with this other hospital. And so she still didn't have an appointment to see a neurologist. And in the meantime, my daughter wasn't developing. She wasn't reaching even more milestones the older she got. She wasn't rolling over. She wasn't, she had stopped smiling, had stopped laughing. Like she was actually regressing at this point. So I was getting a little bit more concerned and more and more frustrated with the hospital. And then finally, one day, she Gracie started doing um, this new motion that she had never done before. She started like her arms would start off at her side and then suddenly they would just shoot up both arms at the same time, just shoot up above her head. And to look at, if you looked at her face, in, like when she would do this, she herself seemed surprised by this and upset by it. And then 10 seconds later, she would do it again and her arms would shoot up again and she would do this over and over and over again. And I'm looking at her and it's like, why are her arms going up over and over again? That, that looks, that's weird. She's never done that before. I don't know what it is, but it doesn't look right. And I showed it to my husband I, when she was doing it for him. And he didn't seem all uh, really too concerned about it at all. He was like, oh, she's probably just being weird. I don't, I don't know. He kind of just shrugged it off. And then I took her next door to, and my, my parents happened to live next door to us. So my mom and my dad live there. And uh, I took her next door to see my parents. And she started doing these arm motions again. And uh, I showed it to my mom. And my mom looked at her and was like, something's very wrong here. Your, your daughter should not be doing this. This isn't right. This isn't normal. Something's wrong. And I think I just needed that one other person to kind of agree with me. And, uh, so I grabbed, I grabbed Gracie, I grabbed my husband and we went to the ER. Like we, we sped to the ER right away. We were there and we ended up staying there for like five hours. They took a chest X-ray and they did a blood panel and they came back and they told us that she was being fussy. And they said, we couldn't find anything on the X-ray, nothing in the blood. There must be, we can't find anything wrong. She go home. She's fine. She's just being fussy. This was after they had seen her doing these arm motions or seen a video of it. They had heard her crying. They had heard what I was explaining to them that this was not normal for her. And I was very concerned and they, they did not find anything to be too concerning for them. And at the same time, even though I was still like, you know, I, they haven't explained anything. This isn't they, all this stuff that isn't normal that's going on. They haven't explained anything. They think she's just being fussy, but I came here because I knew this wasn't her just being fussy. But at the same time, we had been there for five hours. My daughter was asleep. She was finally quiet and I was exhausted. And I wanted to believe that my baby was okay. I didn't know what was wrong, but I wanted to believe she was okay. So when the doctor came to me and said, 
she's fine. She's fussy. Go home, relax, take your daughter home. I wanted to believe it. And I actually was a little relieved when they said it. And I was like, okay, I will happily wear the overreactive mom hat. That is, I'm okay with that as long as it means my daughter's okay. So we took her home that night and I had, and I slept, I slept that night, kind of just feeling a little relieved that, okay, she's fine. The doctors say she's fine. And then the next day I started getting on the phone with some friends of mine, just kind of, you know, chatting it up. Uh, with some girls over text telling them, oh, you know, we went to the ER last night, you know, kind of just chatting up. And I was explaining and describing to them these arm motions that my daughter had been doing. These, These arm motions, the arms are going up over her head every few seconds. And a friend of mine, her name is Bess, a friend of mine sent me a video of another child, another infant doing these exact same arm motions. And the title of the video was an infant child with infantile spasms. And uh, I didn't know what infantile spasms were. I didn't know what that was. I'd never heard of that before. So I very quickly got onto Google and Googled like this kid was doing exactly what my daughter was doing. So I, I Googled infantile spasms and five minutes on a Google search told me enough to know that infantile spasms is a rare form of epilepsy. It's serious, it's dangerous, and it needs to be treated immediately. And the only way to really diagnose it is with an EEG. So armed with that information, I immediately, uh, like really on a dime, kind of just, I got very, very scared and very concerned. And I got on the phone with her pediatrician's office. And I told him, I think my daughter is having infantile spasms. She needs an EEG today. And they were kind of just like, you know, dis- dismissive or, or thinking that I was probably overreacting. It's just like, uh, okay, well, for an EEG, you know, you've already got a referral to a neurologist on file. Why don't we just keep the appointment at the other, ho- at the other hospital? Mm-hmm. And I said, you don't understand. We don't even have an appointment at the other hospital. They've been giving me a runaround for the last month. We're not going there. I want to have her seen here and I want to see her today. And um, they put me on hold. <laughs> uh, and they came back a couple of minutes later and they said, okay, Miss Fall, if you want to have your daughter seen here, we can put her on the calendar, but the closest appointment that we have available is a month from now. And at that point I was like, okay, uh, like, and I, and I said to her, I'm pretty sure this is like a direct quote. I said, darling, I hear what you're saying and I understand what you're saying. Now I need you to hear and understand me. My daughter needs an EEG today. And I kept on saying that today, today, today. And I had never been this forceful with this forceful with um, medical professionals before I had never been this adamant that they were wrong and I was right. That was that was a totally new experience for me. But I I I put my foot down and I said they need to you need to see her today. And they put me on hold again. And um a few minutes later they came back and finally they were like okay Miss Fall we can schedule her for an emergency EEG tomorrow. Are you okay with waiting till tomorrow? And I said, okay, we will wait. We will wait that long. We will see her tomorrow. So um, that gave me about 24 hours 
to really spend time on the internet looking up what infantile spasms was. And that gave me about 24 hours to really freak out because everything I was learning about infantile spasms was terrifying. Um, and for those in your audience who are not familiar with it, um, it's a very rare form of epilepsy found in young children where basically your child is having hundreds of seizures a day and they're happening in clusters and they're happening seconds apart. So your my, my daughter was basically having hundreds of tiny little seizures over and over and over mm -hmm. again. And that's what was causing her arms to shoot up is because she was having seizures. And there are very serious implications with infantile spasms. There's a, there's a range of severity of, it kind of just depends on how early you catch it. Um, but people can be very severely affected by this and, and have uh, mental retardation and cognitive impairments and, and uh, developmental delays and all kinds of stuff. There's a, there's a very, very serious things that come with this. So uh, I was terrified. So we went in to her, we went into the, the hospital for her appointment for her EEG. And I don't know if you've ever had an EEG before, if you know what that is, but it's like, they have to put all of these wires on Gracie's head in order to, to measure her brain waves. And she was not having it. She was not happy about having these wires put on her head. It was not fun. So um, my job was to hold her still as I could so that she would fall asleep. And I'm like, I'm basically holding her still and I'm basically immobilized on this hospital bed in this room. And it's just me and Gracie in my arms and this EEG technician. And finally they turned the machine on and within 90 seconds of her, of the machine turning on, the technician is looking at the screen and then she gets on her phone and starts texting like crazy. And I find out later that she's texting the actual neurologist who wasn't there. Uh, he was in, he was somewhere else in the hospital, but she starts texting him like crazy. And I ask, I could tell that she's there. The, the energy in the room has changed. Something is going on. And I ask her, is, is everything okay? And she puts her phone down and she looks at me and she says, I am, I am not supposed to tell you this because I am not a neurologist and I am not qualified to make a diagnosis. But I know that if that was my daughter laying down there in that bed, I would want to know your daughter has infantile spasms. And I just like, up until this moment, I had been praying like crazy. Just God, let me be wrong. I want to be wrong. I'm, I'm okay with being the overreactive mom, but let me be wrong about this. Let my daughter be okay. And then when she told me she has infantile spasms, I just felt like this big boulder had just fallen right on top of me. And mm -hmm. I just start crying there on the bed while still trying to, you know, stay still and not wake Gracie up. Um, but uh, so that was how we first, that was how it started, was how at first we first found out. And they, they admitted us immediately to the ER again. And we ended up staying for three days and two nights at the hospital. And it was a roller coaster ride. They did like a hundred tests on her, all kinds of different tests. One of which was an, an MRI of her brain. And it was in examining the results of this, of this brain MRI that she, um, or the, the neurologist came back to us and said, 
that we don't think it's just infantile spasms. We think she also has another condition called tuberous sclerosis complex. And again, because her brain does not look typical. And I didn't know what any of that meant. <laughs> I had never heard of tuberous sclerosis complex. I didn't know what not typical meant. I didn't know what any of that implied. So again, I got onto Google and <laughs> just started looking everything up. And it was even more scary than the infantile spasms. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so tuberous sclerosis complex, again, for people who don't know, and it's very understandable that you wouldn't know because this is so rare, but tuberous sclerosis complex is a genetic disorder that is found in about one in every 10,000 children. And what it is, is there's a mutation on the TSC gene in her DNA. And that gene is responsible for regulating um, cellular growth throughout the body. And with the mutation on it, it's malfunctioning. So what ends up happening is your body ends up developing all of these random growths of extra cells, which take the form of benign, non-cancerous tubers all over her body and on her skin, in her brain, on her all of her vital organs, in her eyes. They could show up pretty much anywhere. And the, the, the tubers themselves are non-cancerous, so they're not dangerous in and of themselves, but depending on where they decide to show up and how big they grow and how many there are, they can have very serious complications, health complications. And it's your whole life. It, it doesn't stop. And there's a very broad range of severity in patients with tuberous sclerosis as well. So there are people who are very mildly affected, but there are people who are very, very seriously uh, affected with cognitive impairment, developmental delays, physical uh, ability, physical challenges, and just all kinds of all kinds of um, very, very serious uh, complications that come with it. So uh, all that is scary. And even the medicines that Gracie needs to take in order to get these seizures under control are scary because they had come with side effects. I mean, there's, there was um, the medicine we ended up taking has a side effect of uh, possibly um, messing with her peripheral vision. So it was, and among other things. And so it was, it was all, it was all just terrifying. It, it was just like, that's my baby. She's my little, my, she turns six months old in the hospital. So my little six month old girl, she's, she's this infant. She's this little innocent, precious little girl, helpless little girl. And there's all this stuff happening to her. Um, and my heart just broke, you know, that's, that's, it, it, my, our world changed in an instant. Um, so yeah, that's how, that is how our journey began. <laughs> my, my very long winded, long winded answer to your question of that's how our, that's how our journey began. That's how our story began um, with how we found out that Gracie had a, had a rare genetic disorder. And that was a little bit over a year ago now. So yeah, that's, that's our story. That's the beginning of our story. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to know. And I was, I was shocked when you were talking about going to the ER and mm -hmm. they did um, an EKG, but I was thinking, why aren't they doing some kind of imaging of her brain or something like that? That's the first thing that came to my mind. And they just mm -hmm. said she was fussy and sent, sent you home. That's 
Shocking. Uh, looking back on it, I get so mad looking back on it. No one suggested um, and, and that it could be neurological. No one even explored that avenue. They just took a blood, a blood panel and a chest x-ray and they thought that that was them doing their due diligence. I mean, looking back on it now, I'm, I'm very upset about it. But um, mm -hmm. at the time, I, I wanted to believe it. So, And I didn't know what else that they needed. I didn't know what other tests would, would help or what sure. they needed to be looking at. I was in a place of ignorance. But yeah, no, it was, it was uh, very upsetting. <laughs> sure and maybe i only know that because my my dad had seizures so i know that he had mm -hmm. a lot of of imaging and things and tests run on his brain and he had um he had you know full-blown seizures grand mal seizures but he also had some of the smaller ones where it was just like a jerking of the body kind of like you were talking about mm -hmm. so when you were on the phone with that lady telling her at the doctor's office that your daughter needed an EG today and you were mm -hmm. just repeating, you know, it sounds like you were very calm about it. Were you feeling yeah. a sense of like freaking out inside, but staying home on the outside or, or just like, did this calm come over you? Like I'm getting what I need no matter before I get off this phone. <laughs> uh, I, I think it was the latter. I think I had um, this sense of mission of, okay, this this is happening and i don't care what i need to do to make it happen but my daughter needs an eeg and um i think eventually they started picking up on that and i i literally told them at one point like i'm not getting off this phone until she has an eeg scheduled for today like i i told them that straight up and i i was outwardly very calm like i um i'm not a i'm not the type of person to you know, yell at somebody or curse somebody out over the phone. That's just, that's just not me. So I was, I was very calm, but I was also very, very firm with like, you know, what you are coming back at me with is not good enough. She needs an EEG today. And, um, I found that that was, that was what, that it served me well. It served me well. It And I was on a mission. Like I had enough evidence to satisfy my own understanding that my daughter was in trouble and she needed help and once that qualifier was met she's in trouble she needs help and i need to make this happen um i i think mama bear just took over and there <laughs> and i just uh <laughs> i was just like okay this this is whatever needs to be done is gonna i'm gonna do it um i, I was at the point where at one point while they had me on hold, I was like, okay, if they don't, if they don't schedule her, we're just showing up at the hospital and not leaving until they give it to, until they give her an EEG. Yeah. I was at that point. It didn't come to that, but, um, I, I was that determined. I was that, uh, ready to do whatever needed to be done. Yeah. It was very, I have never been in up until that point in my life. I had never that had never been that type of um, need had never been asked of me. That was new. That was an entirely different thing. And I almost surprised myself with how ready I was to rise to that challenge. Because I think if it had been me, I think if it had been me having seizures, if I was advocating for myself, I don't think I would have nearly been as determined or as um, strong willed about it. But because it was my daughter, my five-month-old daughter, uh, like, again, Mama Bear came out. I was, there was nothing I wasn't going to do to make sure she got what she needed. 
now looking back on it, I probably, I have learned that I need to be that way for myself mm -hmm. as well. But my initiation was for my daughter and that was the motivation I needed. <laughs> I'm the same way. I'm terrible at standing up for myself and, mm -hmm. and getting what I need. I mean, not just from doctors, but in generally in life, you know, I'll put my own needs to the side just to make other people happy. But yeah, when I, when I had a baby, it, the mama mm -hmm. bear started to come out a little bit. Like maybe I won't do mm -hmm. this for myself, but I would, I'll do this for my child. I will mm -hmm. step out of my comfort zone and, you know, get what my child needs. This hasn't been as dire as an extent as you've had to deal with, but just in general life things, yeah, mama bear will come out. And mm -hmm. so how's Gracie doing now? What's happened uh, since then? Well, it's been about a year, a little bit over a year since all of that um, madness took place. And um, in the year since, it's been, um, a parade of therapies. Basically, we've been going to therapies like crazy. And actually, um, just this past week, um, this past Friday, she we took her to Texas Children's Hospital to be evaluated for autism at the Meyer Center there. And they ended up diagnosing her with autism. So on top of all that, she's also she's also been diagnosed as autistic. And um, a surprise. So, so just for, for just so your audience knows, um, the, the hospital that we were at in the city where we live, uh, they didn't have a lot of doctors who knew much about tuberous sclerosis complex. It's a very rare condition, but four hours away from us at Texas Children's Hospital, they have a tuberous sclerosis clinic there. And it's one of the top ones wow. in the country. So now every, I don't know, three, four months, we end up making a trip to Houston for her to go and see doctors there. And so that has become our life as we go. We, she gets therapy every week here at the, at our local hospital for things like speech. And cause she, she has been very slow to develop her speech skills and she goes for feeding therapy cause she's 21 months old now. And she's still hundred percent bottle fed. She refuses to eat mm -hmm. solid foods. Um, and she was going for physical therapy because she was slow to develop physically, but she's actually uh, come back with a vengeance on the physical thing. She is she is okay. moving like crazy now. So that's that's a very Yay. good thing. Um, and almost I'd almost wish she would slow down because she's climbing mm -hmm. on everything now. <laughs> she's just looking for that sensory input. She wants to hang on things. She wants to climb up things. She wants to jump on things. So she's everywhere. So, and she's also going for, uh, or she's having people come to her through early steps. So we take her um, once a week for therapy and then people come two other times a week to give her therapy in our home through our early steps program. So she's been having, she's been receiving a ton of um, support, which has been wonderful. And she is making some progress in speech. We're we're kind of stalled right now at in in feeding. She does she's just not interested in feeding. Um, and she just got diagnosed as autistic. We actually had a, a curveball thrown at us on this visit this last um, last week, where uh, we took her to see a nephrologist for the first time. And for those who don't know, a nephrologist is a kidney doctor. And he took a look at an MRI that was done of her abdomen and looked at her kidneys. And now he suspects that she may have a second genetic disorder 
called polycystic mm -hmm. kidney disease. And um, it's basically, uh, that was a blind, that was another surprise to us. We didn't know that that was coming. Um, and basically what it is, is it's a genetic disorder, like the, the TSC gene and the PKD gene are right next to each other. So this mutation that took place is kind of crossing over, I think, into both genes. But um, it's, it's where your body grows these fluid, many, many fluid-filled cysts that grow on the outside of your kidneys. And um, they cause a lot of, a lot of uh, health issues. They can cause you know, high blood pressure and lead to kidney failure. And the doctor, the nephrologist we spoke to said that the only real treatment that they have is to eventually when there get to be enough cysts on her kidneys to uh, that it's affecting kidney function, they'll have to surgically go in and try to remove as many as they can. And, you know, any kind of surgery on the little girl is scary. So that's, um, that was, that was all a surprise to us that just, just a week ago. So um, we are dealing with that and trying to get her tested to see if this, act, if she actually does have uh, PKD um, and she, we have to do like another ultrasound and they want to do a DNA test and uh, some things to confirm it. But right now it's strongly suspected that she has it because she's got almost two dozen cysts on her kidneys. Wow. So they're all over the place. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, or over a dozen, I shouldn't say two dozen, at least over a dozen uh, cysts on her kidneys. So that's, um, that's what we're dealing with right now. That's, that's our journey right now. Uh, and it never stops. And we, we are, we are in the long, we are in this for the long haul. It's a marathon, not a sprint for sure. <laughs> I'm just curious, what's her demeanor like? Is she, you know, affected like her happiness with all these tests and difficulties and things, or is she just like a normal kid? Oh man, that has been the hugest blessing in all of this is Gracie is the happiest little girl. She is, she, I mean, since we, we have, praise God, we've been able to get her seizures under control with medicine. And it was like, as soon as the, she, the seizures stopped, her personality came back like a boomerang. It just whipped back and all of a sudden she was, she was happy, she was laughing. She started interacting with us a little bit uh, or way more than she had before. She even like, she even makes eye contact now. And uh, I mean, she's, she's definitely autistic. She's got a very strong personality of her own and she's got, she'll, she'll interact with you when she wants to interact with you. but at the same time, she's happy. She's a joy and she's funny. And um, like, and when we go to see doctors, I mean, she doesn't know it's not normal for kids to go to therapy four yeah. times a week. Um, she's, she's, that's just her life. So she's, um, she's content with it. She does not like going to the hospitals, you know, the, the long drive. And usually there's un comfortable tests involved that she has to endure. So she's not happy when we go to Texas Children's. But in general, she has a really great relationship with her therapists and she's she's a happy little girl. And thank goodness for that because leading up to all of this, she was, I mean, I almost hate to say it, she was a really fussy baby. She was, she really was just a really um, a high maintenance, fussy infant leading up to her getting diagnoses. And I look back on it now and it's obvious 
well, poor thing. She was having seizures. She was in pain. She, mm -hmm. no wonder she was a fussy baby. And, um, and since we've gotten her medicine, she has like just transformed personality wise. And I'm so thankful for that. We've been very blessed in that way to have a, a happy daughter. And I hope she continues on that trend. <laughs> no, that's, that's awesome. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear that. Um, what, what kinds of things have you learned from all of these experiences? Oh man, um, <laughs> many things. Uh, I have learned, I think the first thing that I have learned is how to advocate for my daughter. I've learned that if, if I don't stand up for my little girl, who will? And yep. um, I've also learned that, I mean, up to, up until this first experience that I that I told you about with with the ER doctors and everything, I was in a mindset where I was content to to follow the doctor's lead. I was in a mindset where I was thinking these doctors went to school for years and years. They know about this stuff. They know way more than I do. So they're the experts. So whatever they say must be the right thing to do. And I was I was willing to to you know follow that train of thought and um, just do whatever the doctors recommended. And I kind of took their word as gospel kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I have learned that that is not the case. <laughs> uh, they are, they people, they are people, doctors are people and people miss things. They make mistakes, not that they're bad people, but, um, and I'm sure uh, they're all trying their best, but they miss things. And um, I have learned that as a parent, I'm a, I'm a very, I'm a very faithful person. So I'm going to bring God into this. Uh, like I, I have learned that God gives parents a very special grace. I have learned that I'm not crazy. And what I mean by that is when I notice something, uh, there is no one on this earth who is more of an expert about my child than me. God gives parents a grace to see things and notice things about their kids that no one else sees. So when I see something about my child that is hitting me as kind of off or something is wrong, and then I show it to other people who just look and see, and they don't see anything to be concerned about. It's not that I'm crazy and seeing things that aren't there. It's that I am the only person with the ability and the context to be able to look at my child and recognize things that no one else is able to recognize. And so I'm not crazy. It's that I have a special ability. That is my superpower right now. That is the superpower of every mom and every dad out there. I can see things that no one else can't. It's not that I'm seeing things that aren't there. It's that I can see things that no one else can't when it comes to my baby, um, babies, both of them. Uh, and that is something that I've learned. And that has been very empowering for me because I think moms need to hear that. I think, especially first time moms or moms who have just been thrown into this storm of, of a difficult diagnosis for their child. This is something that you need to hear and be empowered by. You have this superpower there. I mean, yes, you're surrounded by doctors, but you're the one who is the biggest and most relevant expert in the room because you are an expert on your child. Um, and that has been very empowering and, and very useful for me in my own mindset. I have continued to, to 
grow and care for my daughter and learn to advocate for her. And it has been, it's been, that's, that's something I learned early on. And I, and I'm very glad that I learned it early on because if I hadn't, my, my daughter would have suffered, um, and possibly suffered, uh, you know, even more developmental or, or brain damage for, for lack of a better word. If we had, if I had been, if I had been content to say, okay, we'll wait the month, we'll wait until this other hospital gets us an appointment. We'll wait, we, we will wait the extra month to be able to get seen. If I had been compliant enough uh, to, to wait for that, that would have been another, at least another month of my daughter having these seizures every day. And who knows what damage would have been done to her in that time. So I've definitely learned that, that I'm not crazy, that I have a, that I have a superpower to, to, to watch my kids and to recognize what is and is not right with them. So yes, I've learned that. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's so important. And you're right, especially for, for first-time moms, that nobody is going to know your your kiddo better than you. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. I don't care if they've got an MD, you know, after their name. You're mm-hmm. you you birthed them, you, you know, spent nine months with them in your womb you're with them, you know, a lot, <laughs> something, and you, and you see things and you know, you know, what's normal and what's not. And I haven't had quite the experiences that you have, but I've had one of her, my daughter's doctors, she's 10, who basically just gave us a diagnosis and blew her off. Um, had another set of doctors. I kept seeing PAs and I would fire them basically because I wasn't being, I wasn't being listened to. And mm-hmm. Like they gave her a diagnosis and, and I looked it up and I came back the next time and I said, that's not what it is, it, she, mm-hmm. you know? And so I finally got an explanation from the third PA that I talked to that, oh, well, um, yes, this major component of being irritable all day, which my daughter is not, um, doesn't apply to her, but there's there, basically there's not a better bucket to throw her mood disorder in than this one. And the primary component is she's irritable all day, but my child's not. My child's happy and, and funny <laughs> and si- and silly and goofy, you know, 99% of the time. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I've fought that one for a while. And we, even with, with speech, um, on my husband's side of the family, there's a lot of speech delays. And when she was in kindergarten, my husband actually asked the teacher about her, her speech. And the teacher said, oh, well, you know, she'll, she'll develop it. And then a year later her first grade teacher's going, why isn't she in speech? And we're like, well, we asked and we were told it's just a developmental thing. She'll, you know, get better. And, and she didn't. So she mm. fell behind a year in, in speech and that was frustrating. It's just nobody, nobody's going to know our babies better than us. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if they're a baby or if they're 17 years old. Yeah. We, we know. They never we stop know being a baby. Exactly. Like we know what's normal and what's not. Mm-hmm. And you know, the thing you kind of just uh, described it, it goes hand in hand with this is that the other thing that I, that I learned is that I'm, I'm the one in charge. I like, mm. I, you know how I described earlier feeling like the doctors are the ones who went to school. They know more, so we should do mm-hmm. what they say, but that's not true. I'm the one in charge. That is my daughter and I am responsible for her care. The doctors are there to advise and to analyze to the best of their abilities, but ultimately the care for that child is on me. And I have every right to say, 
no, I don't agree with that approach. I don't think that you're right about that. I want you to look more into that. Or if you won't, I have the right to say, I will seek a second opinion. I will seek another doctor who, who if you're not willing to put in the work to take care, to, to, to give my daughter the attention and treatment that she needs, I will go to someone else who can. And that is the best way that I can serve my daughter. And that is the best way that I can be the best mom that I can be. And I have every right to do that. I am not stepping on anyone's mm -hmm. toes. I'm not stepping out of line to do that. That is my job. And I, I, it took my daughter getting us having, having these extreme medical conditions for me to ever really learn that I didn't, I didn't understand that leading up to this experience. It, it, came very quickly uh, out of necessity, but I'm so glad that I learned it. And since this, since all this has happened, I have um, had the, the privilege of coming into contact with other families, other parents of children with special needs, especially other ones who have just recently also gone through a very similar experiences. Their kids are just getting diagnosed with these serious conditions. And I am, I've been really surprised to encounter these, especially moms, these other moms who feel very timid to do this, who are, who feel very um, unprepared or unworthy um, or, or just, it's not their personality type. They don't feel like they, that they don't feel well equipped to be aggressive for their child, to be, to advocate aggressively for their child. And they, they don't feel like they are up to the task of being the expert in the room when it comes to their child, even though they are, even though they have every right to be, even though that, that is their job and they have the expert and they have the gut feelings, they feel it, they know it, they, things are not sitting right with them, but they, they don't feel, have the courage to speak up. And I have certainly encouraged these moms to, to speak up for their children, because if you don't, then no one will. And yep. um, it's kind of just developed into this as a result of my book, a very grassroots mentorship that I have kind of developed that is now available through my website for parents of children who are just getting diagnosed to just mentor them through that process, because it's a roller coaster. And, um, and it's not a service or anything that I, that I pay for. It's just me as a mom wanting to be there for another mom or dad who's going through the same thing that I went through, you know, cause I feel very strongly that we need, you know, we, we special needs parents need to stick together. Uh, and just like I've, I've mentored them and I've, and I have encouraged them, no, be, trust your gut, trust your instinct. That's your superpower. And it is your job to speak up for your child and try to really encourage them and feel and, and try to empower them and, and let them know their own, their, their own power and their own worth there. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to get on a soapbox. <laughs> no, it's okay. You're, yeah. Cause that's, that's so important. That is our job. And if we're not going to advocate for our child, nobody's going to. And, and plus you're right. We are in charge, even in the sense that we're the ones paying for the service of a doctor. Yeah. So they're basically our customer. So if they're not going to meet our child's needs, then we need to look elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. so this is kind of a touchy question, but is there 
a way that you've decided that like when you are going to follow what the doctors are, are saying and recommending you versus when you're going to trust your gut? Is it just a gut well, always, kind of thing? I always trust my gut. That is something okay. I've learned. I always trust my gut. And I have now fortunately been able to get my daughter um, into be seen by people who are experts in her rare conditions. So there are people who are very, she's, she's being seen by people who are knowledgeable about her specific condition and who do know what the best uh, course of action is to medically care for her. But um, I, I do, I always, I always first trust my gut. And the thing is, <laughs> never underestimate a mom, never underestimate yeah. a mom with access to Google because I, I have spent so much time researching my daughter's conditions, researching everything, every little minute detail about her, her health and things to look out for and, and treatments that are available. And I think if I were to be in the presence of someone who wasn't a specific expert on her condition, I think I would have more medical knowledge than they would. Uh, so, so, and like, that's just motivation of love there. I'm researching because I don't want to miss something again. I don't want my daughter to have a seizure that I don't recognize or a symptom that I don't recognize that could be serious and could, could cause her to, to suffer more damage. So I want to be prepared and that's, that's me. That's my personality. And I think that that is a motivation that every mom has. Um, so as far as like, I don't have a system in place of when I trust the doctors and when I don't, I always yeah. trust my gut and I always make sure that I ask questions. I always, and, and, and it's kind of almost a strategy to see how the doctor, how to, to kind of see, um, how up to snuff the doctor is at the, at the moment, like to see if like, uh, well, they're, they're recommending this approach and I, and I'll, and I will try to ask them, well, what are the side effects? What are the, um, what are the alternatives? What are the, um, the, the, how successful has this approach been? Um, what studies have been done? And I try to, I try to ask them questions not, and I, I don't ever just take their word for it on, we should do this. Okay. I always ask questions now. That is now my strategy of, I always ask the doctor secondary questions to make sure that they actually, they're not just in, in um, rinse and repeat mode. They're not just in a routine of, this is what I recommend to patients who have this. Like, I wanna make sure that they know. And if they are not prepared to answer those questions adequately, then I say, okay, well, I would like you to research those, please. And I would like you to come back and give me answers and we're not moving forward until you do. And that is your right to say, or if the doctor is, I have not experienced this myself. I haven't had a doctor who has said, okay, that's unreasonable or anything like that, but I am perfectly prepared to say, or we will seek a second opinion elsewhere. I have no problem mm -hmm. saying that now. Um, so uh, that's, that's my, that's my strategy there is to ask questions to see exactly what state of mind the doctor is in or, and how prepared the doctor is. And 
if I do not feel satisfied by that, then to allow the doctor a chance to become more uh, prepared and ready for me, knowing that I am going to be asking questions, knowing that I am not going to just accept their word as gospel and that I'm going to challenge them and uh, and see how they come back and meet that challenge. And if I'm not satisfied with that, then I go to a new doctor. That's that's my strategy. And that's great. We should all be asking questions of our doctors, mm -hmm. our own doctors, our children's doctors. That's important. I agree well, with thank that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been so interesting oh, to, to hear. And I hope you've encouraged some some mother to, you know, advocate for her child and just stand up and be a little bit more assertive. Oh, I hope so too. I hope so too. That is that would be wonderful to just I'm I very much hope for the sake of the moms and the children that they are mothers too, that that is uh that, that is a good effect of this podcast that someone hears it. <laughs> So where can we find your book? Where can we find your website? Yeah, no, okay. So um, my book can be found, it is on Amazon, but it is also, if you wanna support the author more, I definitely get more royalties if you buy it through my website, which is www.godspreciousgift.com. And my book is actually a children's book. It's called God's Precious Gift, A Special Needs Child. And it is a faith-based book all about God's love for children with special needs and God's grace that he gives to their parents and how every child, no matter their um, medical complexity or neurodivergence, whatever unique situation a child is, what a parents find that their child has, every child is a deliberate, intentional gift, child give deliberate gift from God given specifically to those parents. And it, it drives home the message how deeply and incredibly loved these children are, both by God and by their parents, and that they're not mistakes, but that they are an avenue of grace and for, for parents and everyone around them. And it's, it's a beautiful book. It came, I got the idea for it, kind of an answer to my own prayer when I was dealing with the aftershock of my daughter's diagnosis. And I think it's a very honest book that speaks to the heart of a parent i mean it's a children's book children will get it too children love this book but parents will get it too it's just as much for the parents so again i'm sorry god's precious gift a special needs child is the title of the book you can get it at godspreciousgift.com or amazon and i would love it if you followed me on instagram at colleen key fall and you can also find me on facebook at colleen key fall author on my facebook page and I will have all those links in the show notes to keep it easy. And make sure to, you, that you subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any health, parenting, or life advice. For my freebie, mm -hmm. 30 Ways to Relieve Pain Without Taking a Pill, go to hurtstomom.com slash tips or at hurtstomom on Instagram. If you have any comments, suggestions, or like to be on this podcast, please email me at ithurtstomom at gmail.com. I wish you all a blessed and pain-free day. Bye. Bye.